Hello and welcome to the C-Suite Hot Seat. My name is Saf Malik, Senior Reporter at Capacity Media. This is the monthly podcast from the Capacity Editorial Team featuring exclusive interviews with C-Suite executives from across the wider telecoms, tech and ICT landscape. Join us as we talk all things technology, infrastructure, finance and strategy. I'm joined today by Steve Alexander, Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Siena. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Saf, it's great to be here with you. Steve, jumping straight into the questions, um, what developments in greening submarine networks do you anticipate in the coming years? Oh, Saf, I think there's going to be a number of them. You know, we've talked in the past about, you know, the improvements that the technologies that we've been bringing into the marketplace have done in terms of reducing cost per bit, power consumption per bit, the, the rest of it. And that's going to continue, right? So you've seen the the change in what an individual submarine cable can carry from, you know, measured in terms of gigabits, you know, decades ago now to multiple terabits and such. And, and you're going to continue to see improvements in, the, in that space. And optical networks and by extension, submarine networks, they've grown in capacity um, by an average of 40% a year for the past 40 years. Uh, today's networks are approaching their Shannon limit, which refers to the estimated maximum rate at which they can transmit data reliably. What do you think is the next major advance here? Well, so I think the first thing people have to realize, you know, when, when people talk about Shannon's limit is it's an equation, right? It's not a number where a lot of people think of like speed of light, you know, you can only go so fast and then you stop. Um, what Shannon's limit really is an equation that relates signal to noise ratio to capacity. And so if you can continue to improve um, signal to noise ratio on a given bandwidth, you can continue to improve capacity. Now, you're absolutely right in saying we have gotten very close to this equation. So we're close to the theoretical maximum that you can have for a given um, bandwidth on the fiber and for a given signal to noise ratio. So the trick then is, okay, how do you get that to be better? And, uh, and some years ago, I gave a talk where I basically started and said, look, if Shannon was alive today and he looked at the problems our industry was having, he'd come back to us and say, hey, you know, go get a better channel. Now, a channel to him was the type of um, medium that the signal was propagating in, right? So there's a thing called a fiber channel. There's a free space channel. You know, there's those sorts of channels in the, the, the mathematics and such. And, and so, you know, what's the real limitation in an optical communication system today? You know, if it's fiber-based, it's generally the amplifier technology. It's your erbium amplifiers. Another one that um, is specifically, um, you know, of interest in long haul systems and submarine systems is uh, nonlinearities that come about from having, you know, high intensity light in in a silica fiber. And so you say, okay, so how do you make that better? You get broader bandwidth amplifiers, and there's work, you know, at basic the basic physics level to make amplifiers broader band. There's also work in alternative fibers that in many cases, what people are thinking about are things that actually have hollow cores. So you can actually launch more optical power on the fiber. Um, it's not ready for prime time yet. It's still kind of in the research stage. There's a, you know, a company that was acquired actually by Microsoft um, that was making hollow core fibers. Uh, but it's very promising. It's a very promising technology as, as people look to the future of what optical communication systems are. Um, you know, can offer. Uh, in the near term, what people are doing is is basically paralleling up the fibers. And, you know, when you go back and you look at Shannon's limit, it has a what's called a logarithmic component to it. And then there's a linear component. The logarithmic one is where the signal to noise portion lives. The linear one is where, you know, the bandwidth 
exists as well as the number of fibers you've got. And so the, the easiest thing to do these days is you put a lot of cores, a lot of, um, you know, cores in a fiber, or you have a lot of different fibers in a cable. And that's the easiest way to get lots more capacity. And just off the back of that, Steve, what kind of technology do you think is enabling us to get more uh, data over subsea routes? Well, the, the one that has been, you know, the biggest lever for about the last decade was the introduction of coherent detection, right? So that's the digital signal processing that was applied to improve um, the performance of the of the systems. And that's going to continue, right? The, you know, we're, we're basically um, leveraging all the work that goes on in silicon integrated circuits, smaller and smaller dimensions, higher and higher speeds. So that will continue. But you're going to also see continued improvements in optoelectronics, the modulators, the detectors. You're going to see, again, you know, this investigation into other amplifier technologies, um, different fiber types. There's lots of work that's going to go into, you know, improving what can be done on an individual cable. Interesting, Steve. And I like to kind of break up the interview uh, to ask three hot seat questions. Uh, the first one being, give us three words to describe the current state of the industry. Oh, let's see. I would tell you, um, in, so this is specific to, you know, the submarine cable business, you know, the optical communications portion of that. I, I would tell you it's enabling. Uh, I would tell you that it is dynamic. And, and I would tell you it's exciting because this this is the mechanism that interconnects the world, right? And when you see the impact that bringing connectivity to um, a population to people who may have never had that kind of capability before. As you close some of these digital divide um, issues that the the world has, it's a remarkable. It's really is remarkable what um, access to that kind of connectivity can do for folks. So I, I go back to the enabling, dynamic, and exciting. I definitely agree that it is exciting. It's definitely one of the most exciting industries uh, in telecoms at the moment. The next question would be, what is your favorite and least favorite part of your job? Oh, the, the, the favorite part is out with customers, right? Understanding their issues, explaining to them the kind of technologies that we can bring to bear, um, joint problem solving. Um, you know, I've, I've often talked to, to, to my boss, you know, what, what the CTO does. There's clearly the technology aspect to it. But I also talk about it in terms of um, talking, traveling, troublemaking, troubleshooting, the occasional tantrum, right? Whatever fits the T, literally. Um, and so I would tell you, it's how I get my compass set is being out with customers and understanding, you know, what are they trying to accomplish? What problems have they got? How can we help? Um, that to me is the absolute best part of the job. And your least favorite part of the job? Uh, well, probably right now it's the travel to get to the customers because I kind of got used to the the virtual environment that we had during during COVID, right? I, I could spend... So I'm based, you know, east coast of the U.S. and I could spend the mornings, you know, over in Europe. I could spend the middle of the day in the in the Americas, and I could spend the evenings over in Asia Pacific, just on on you know uh, web platforms. I think I've done four, um, you know, Pacific Rim trips this year, right? I, I think I crossed two million button seat miles, you know, on United Airlines this year. That's basically two working years sitting in an airplane seat, that sort of thing. So that's probably. If there's a downside to it, it's going to be that. It's just the amount of time travel takes to to get to the engagements. That's definitely understandable. And the last of the hot seat questions is, what is one thing that inspires you? Uh, oh, uh, that's easy. I, I've always been a believer. This goes back 30, 40 years, right? Since, you know, when, when I got out of college, 
that communications was good for for good for humanity, right? And I've seen now, you know, the benefits, the impact of connectivity and the kinds of technologies we've been able to bring to bear here, right? When, um, I mean, when I started in this industry on the commercial side, say I'd spent 12 years at labs up at MIT, but when I got into Sienna, for us to do, our first product was 16 channels WDM. So it was the first dense wavelength division multiplexing product in the marketplace. We could do 16 channels, two and a half gigs per channel. That's 40 gigabits. And that took basically a full telecom rack to implement, right? So you can just imagine the the size, the cost, complexity, the power consumption, all that, right, for 40 gigabits. So imagine, if you will, you know, 10 of these things lined up, right? That's 400 gigabits. So, you know, you're talking a room full of equipment, all the cost, complexity, power, the rest. Well, you know, fast forward now a couple decades and the industry's gotten to the point where we can literally put, you know, 400 gigabits in the palm of your hand, right? I mean, that's the dramatic reductions in, you know, cost, power, space, complexity that we've been able to drive. And, and that, of course, means that that kind of capacity can go so many more places, right? You know, something that fits in the palm of your hand can go a lot more places than, you know, a room full of equipment. So that to me is is what the you know the the thing that's most inspiring is that you know we can really have an impact on you know people's lives you know how they learn where they can work what they can do that that to me is that's important. Uh, moving on to kind of the geography of things, in which areas of the world are you seeing the most demand for subsea fiber cables, and what do you think are the main factors driving that demand? Well, the, the demand truly is global. You know, people always talk about the the major avenues of traffic, right? Which, you know, historically has been, you know, North America to Europe, North America to Pacific Rim. Um, but re in reality, it goes everywhere. I mean, these truly are global connections. And what you're finding is, you know, places that have been, you know, underserved. Africa is a great example. Some of the Pacific Islands are great examples. Um, you know, getting that kind of connectivity in place really has major impacts, you know, socially, economically, the rest. And so it is a global phenomenon. You know, the the demands might be a little bit different, right? If you're on a route that's already well served, people are primarily interested in, you know, lowest cost per bit, you know, highest availability, um, sometimes lowest latency paths. In others where it's, you know, relatively new, I mean, th this is a whole new technology for them, right? This is the first time some of these people have access to the cloud and data and the rest of it. Um, you know, they're kind of first, you know, first users of it. And so there's a educational component that goes along with it. You know, in some cases, it's um, national intent from a, from a government that says, look, I know I will be, you know, my population will be better off if they have connectivity. I can have a faster growing industry. I can get into new areas. So you find different motivations in different parts of the world, but it is truly a global phenomenon. And Steve, I heard that you're doing some interesting things with smart subsea cables to equip them with uh, persistent insights into climate change. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so first, just so everybody under what smart means, right? Because smart is a word a lot of people understand is one. Uh, you know, it's an acronym in this case. Um, scientific monitoring and reliable uh, telecommunications is what that smart specifically knows about. So if you think about what's been going on, right, we have cables all over the world. And if you can then say, okay, are there things we can measure with these cables? Are there other things we can connect to the cables? You know, what, what can we see, for example, w with the advent of coherent detection, right? So you're talking, you know, roughly 2000, 
you know, 2019, 2020 today, back 10, 15 years when it first came out, um, you look at what is measurable on the the actual optical line itself, right? When when you do coherent detection, you're using a local oscillator laser to measure the received light. So one laser is measuring another laser. Very precise measurements can be made that way. And you can start to sense things about the oceans. You can, um, you know, tell polarization of the light and polarization is very sensitive to mechanical disturbances. It can be affected by temperature, um, motion, all sorts of things. And so um, there is some very interesting work that was done, you know, collaboratively with some of the web scalers around things like earthquake detection. You know, can you t tell seismic events? Can you do things in terms of, um, you know, measuring temperature? There's all sorts of um, interest in this. It's very, very early days, right? So, and because these things inherently are multinational, right, they, they cross geopolitical boundaries all over the place. There's always issues with, you know, what the data means, who owns it, who gets to collect it, what do you do with it? But over time, I think the, a lot of those things will get will get sorted out. Um, but it really has great potential to provide the capability to, you know, measure what's going on on a global basis, as well as provide all the connectivity to the uh, to other types of sensors that you may you may want to be able to, um, to to connect to. So again, early days, but Lots of promise looking forward. And Steve, just finally for me, in an ever-changing industry and an, well, an ever-evolving one too, what would you say is the most exciting development to look out for in the next uh, couple of years? Well, specific to the the, the submarine space, it's it's going to be what uh, you know we a little bit talked about earlier, right? It's all the additions of um, fiber cores into the basic cable infrastructure. So whether it's multi-core fiber or very high fiber count cable, that's going to be the way lots of additional bandwidth is created. Now, to go along with this, you have to have, um, you know, improvements in the amplifier technologies and the underwater housings, all the rest of it. Um, so that takes care of kind of the wet plant portion. You look on a dry plant and you're going to say, okay, you know, we're going to be moving from, uh, you know, kind of the 800 gig world to the 1.6 terabit world on an individual wavelength to looking forward to 3.2 terabits in the future. So again, you know, continued improvements in what you can do once the fiber and the cable is, you know, actually installed. And then the other piece to this, you know, I'll go back to it. This is a global phenomenon. It's all about interconnection. Um, Lots more application of the cables for festooning, where you know you stitch around, uh, you know the the shoreline of a country or a continent. Um, additional routes for connectivity. You know we still have some, you know, very high value routes that are not well protected from a um, perspective of you know if a if a ship dra um, drags its anchor and cuts some cables, you'll get some isolation of the of the different parts of the world that needs to be solved. You want multiple you know, avenues of connectivity to all the different geographic sites. So, you know, again, I'll go back to the excitement word. I, I think this is a very exciting time in this industry, and it's a great time to be in it. Completely agree, Steve. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today on the C-Suite Hot Seat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And stay tuned to www.capacitymedia.com for the latest news, features, and appointments. And you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Capacity Media. Thank you.